Lord, that you would teach us, that you'd share us, show us something about yourself and, and your love for us. Uh, God, use this time that we have together uh, to make an impact on our lives and how you can use us to impact this world around us. We love you. Amen. Amen. So Obadiah uh, is not one, it's not a book we read from very often. It's, it is, if those of you who wanted to say, you know, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to start reading the Bible and I'm going to start, I'm going to read a book out of the Old Testament. This is your book because it is the shortest book in the Old Testament. <laughs> 21 verses long. You could read it. Uh, 21 verses, I'm not going to tell you what you could do in 21 verses, but you, yeah, you could do a lot of things by the time you could finish reading this. Uh, it is a, a book of poetry, actually. A lot of poetry and symbolism are involved in there. We don't know a lot about Obadiah, about when he, he doesn't give us any cues, like so-and-so was king when I was the prophet. He doesn't tell us any of that stuff. So we're left to kind of figure out by, the, by what he said, what he wrote, to kind of understand, like, who is he talking to and, and when did he write. So so people who, theologians who study the scriptures and, and the, the older texts and all that sort of thing, they, they understand the language to, to tell us that the, most likely his ministry was around the, the year 580, 586, somewhere in there, B.C., before Christ. How they know that is because that's in 586 when Nebuchadnezzar was believed to have conquered Jerusalem. And a lot of the, the, the language that he uses in here point to uh, the Israelites being run out of Jerusalem. Uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, about the Babylonians. And that's when it happened, when they destroyed the temple. So uh, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll see that. We'll, we'll get, explain a lot of the background for Obadiah's message today. But I've, I've titled it uh, Accountable Love because Obadiah's message is one of judgment. Uh, and it's a, it's a hard word. <coughs> but love is accountable. God holds us accountable to the love that he gives his children. So, and this is a book that definitely explains it kind of to put myself in the story and to help you see where you kind of fit better in the story maybe. Uh, I just wanted to share with you that, that Obadiah is, uh, he talks a lot about brothers, brotherly love. Uh, my, I have a brother and, uh, and we did not love each other very much. We, we had issues, we both had issues. My wife would say I have the most, I have a lot, uh, wouldn't say the most, but but yeah, we're, there's certainly plenty to go around. Those of you who have brothers, you know, the, yeah, the brothers have issues, and, and God bless them that that's just the way it is. Uh, my brother and I, growing up, I always saw him as looking to get in trouble. I mean, he was, he just seemed to be, the parents would tell him, don't do something, he'd go right out and do it. They, he'd pick arguments with them, he'd just start stuff, like, for no reason. They was going, by fine, and he'd just, he'd say something stupid just to get them riled up, and it would just seem one thing after another. I, why, why couldn't he be more like me? I mean, I was the favorite child. As the baby of the family, way to go, Ben. As the baby in the family, we know we are the favorite. And uh, he just couldn't accept that, I guess. I don't know. But seriously, like some of you are babies in the family. And you know, too, that you are the favorite child. It's just, it's just the way it is. There must be a lot of older kids here because y'all are like a little angry about that. Uh, I just say you need to get over it. Uh, so that's just, uh, you just need to accept the truth as it is. Uh, no. But I was a little frustrated with my brother that, Deliberately, he would seem to get himself into trouble. Why couldn't he be like more like me and just sneak around and do it? You know, that was really what I was wondering. Why couldn't he be a little more sneak? But he didn't even care to sneak. He just would do it straight out. We weren't really close, but we were brothers. Uh, for sure, you know, he's two years older than I am. When, we, when, I got to, when I was in college, he came back to college, and we hung out for a little bit uh, up until my 21st birthday. <clears throat> My 21st birthday began as a celebration like any birthday would. It ended with he and I in jail. 
<laughs> uh, my birthday ended with he and I in jail. And uh, for fighting each other, actually. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> uh, I was having a great night. I mean, it was a great night. Having a good time. Then something happened. And he and I wound up bloody on the side of the road in a sobriety checkpoint. Uh, and the officer looked in the truck and he said, you boys just pull right over there. And that was kind of from there we went, you know that card in Monopoly, go directly to jail. And <laughs> that's, where, that's what we got. And uh, I was furious with him for years after that. I mean, furious. We didn't speak for a long time after that. Uh, see, it wasn't just a fight because we, we had plenty of fights before. I mean, it, my brother and I getting in a fight just like you and your brothers getting in a fight. That's no big deal. But it was the things that he said that were true before and after the fight that cut me deep. Right? They were true, and they, they stung. Um, I don't think he had any intent all those years before to, to, make, to offend me, nor did I have any intent in the years before to offend him. I mean, it was just, we were just going through life, and all, but now I knew that all those things had bothered him, and he knew all those things that had bothered me, right? And we kind of let it all out that night. Have you ever found yourself there? I mean, I don't, I don't mean in a police car. I don't mean in a police car. <laughs> hey, like, like I, don't, I don't mean you got arrested on your 21st birthday, but what I do mean is that angry with somebody who, who was getting what you deserved, who got what you deserved, or angry with somebody years after the event that you're just unable to move past it, unable to let it go, or envious of the recognition that like, like, you've done that over and over and over again, and nobody ever noticed. But they did it one time, and it seemed like they brought out the band for them, right? Like, what happened? Like, what? Envious of the recognition that others get. Have you ever found yourself there? I, I know you have, because we've all found ourselves there, right? That, that's why I think this story of this, this message from Obadiah is it's, it's, it's written for a people in a time, but it's also, we can find ourselves there without too much of a stretch. God, you see, is delivering a message of, of a pronouncement, you might even say, an official proclamation, right, against the Edomite people. You may say, who, who are the Edomites? I mean, that's one of those ites in the Bible that we never really read. Oh, no, there's, there, Edomites are in there all, a, a lot. He's bringing judgment on them for their sin, the sin of a nation. He's judging the whole nation. It's, and, and not only the Edomites, but all people who sin just like them. And I, but first, let's get some of the backstory in this because there's a lot of backstory. You may remember that the people of Israel had one father and his name was, anybody remember? Abraham and Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had fathers. So we could, we could all sing it. If you, didn't, if you don't know it, your parents didn't have you in Sunday school enough and you should, you should say something to them over Thanksgiving. But not you should uh but god promised abraham that he would give them children he would give them he would make him a father of nations right but he and sarah his wife got tired of waiting because she was 90 and hadn't had any kids yet and so sarah said here have my servant hagar and have a child with her and they did and his name was ishmael but ishmael was not god's plan so at 90, Sarah got pregnant with Isaac. And Isaac, God's plan, came, was born. 
Isaac was loved by his mother and father as he was the promised one, right? They loved him so much that at 40, they finally had to say, son, you got to go. <laughs> you got to go get you a wife. It's time for you to leave the house. They waited until 40, but they finally kicked him out. And he went to his uncle's to get a wife, and he found Rebecca. He found Rebecca at 40. And the Bible says that, that Isaac prayed for Rebecca, and she got pregnant. <coughs> there's, there's more to it than that, but that's all the Bible tells us, right? <laughs> so, the Bible doesn't give us much more details than that. He prayed for her, and she got pregnant. The baby's in her womb. Like, she didn't know there was, like, some action going on in her, in the, in her belly, and she didn't understand it, and so she, she prayed to God and asked him what was going on. The Lord said to her in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, it says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. This, this is the root of all that Obadiah is all about. Well, it came time for the birth, though. First one out had red skin and lots of hair. They named him Esau. The second one, and there was a baby holding his foot. He came out hold, literally holding his foot, and so they named him Heel Grabber. That's, that's what they named him, is Jacob, right? They named him Jacob. And the boys grew up. Verse 27 continues. And Esau became a skillful hunter. The first one out became a skillful hunter. A man of the open country, while Jacob... The, the, the younger, was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac had a taste for wild food and game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. You see it already, right? That, that dad has a favorite, and mom has a favorite, and oh my goodness, it's going to be trouble. Can you imagine the fights that broke out between them two? Can you, mama's boy and daddy's favorite, and all, my, oh my Lord, it never ended. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. And that's why they also call him Edom, which means Hebrew for red. Red, which his skin was as, as well. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him an oath to sell him his birthright. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Unbelievable that he would sell his inheritance for a bowl of stew, much less lentil stew, you know, which isn't that fantastic, you know, that, that jambalaya. Now, that, would, that might be worth trading for, but. Or some of my etouffee, that might be worth it, but uh, not lentil stew, for sure. But he did, and it was a decision that would shape his future. I don't know if you ever found that to be true in your life, but a, a little decision made once without much thinking about it. Years and years later, it, it shaped a lot of your life. Like just a simple little choice about where you, which house you were going to buy, this one instead of that one, or, or go to that college or that college or, or that school or that school, and all those sorts of things take that job over that one and how that that simple little choice that you didn't think much of it at the time impacted your life for years to come maybe even generations to come after you but that's what we see exactly here in the scriptures see God would keep his promise to bless the children of Isaac in fact he would also bless Jacob yet Esau would always know that Jacob was more favored always know remember 
that what he had now belonged to his brother. What was his, his brother had. It'd be something he'd never completely get over. Never, ever. So when you think about it, though, his problem wasn't with his brother. His problem was with his dad or even with God who would, who would actually bless someone for, like, they would give his blessing away. Like, why would his father do that? Or why would God do, why would God do that? Because that's who his real problem was with. But he took it out on his brother. And that's the first lesson I believe we can learn from Obadiah, is that God is in control of his blessing, who he blesses, how he blesses. God is in control of that. It's called grace, right? God decides what he's going to do, how he's going to move. I do believe, though, that, and I've, I've, heard, I've heard it said that, that we can hinder God's blessing. We can prevent God from blessing us, and I believe that to be true. In fact, Jesus said it in John 16. He said, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, but you don't have it now. Until now, you have not asked for anything. See, God, God, I believe, wants to give us his blessing. He wants to give his, bless his children. Problem is, his children won't humble themselves before him and ask. We well, we we ask. We're like, oh God, yeah, come on, come on, pour it on me, Lord. Pour it. We we deserve it. But what Jesus is talking about here is humbling yourself before God, coming to Him and saying, Father, Abba, Daddy, whatever, whatever you want to give me. Coming with Him with the right attitude. That yes, God is in control of it. But we need to humble ourselves before God and ask for it. Instead, we're, we're usually envious of what others have, how God works in their life and not mine, right? Their church is bigger. Their kids have higher grades. Their, their kids on the travel team go to a better college. They make more money. Their vacations are better. They get to play golf in retirement. I have to work. On and on and on. Think about it. God is the creator of the universe, decides to bless one and not the other. God decides to make one his and not the other. And the one not chosen decides to get angry at the one who is chosen and not, not at God. Instead of taking their issue to God, they take their issue to their brother to the one chosen. That's a source of, I think, a lot of conflict in this world, in our lives, is envy. It's envy. We're envious of what others have. And envy is a result of pride. It's believing that I deserve what they've got. I should have that, not them. They haven't really done anything to deserve it like I have. I, 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 me, me, me. You see, the story of Isaac and Jacob, Esau, it becomes our story pretty quick. <clears throat> but before we get lost in that, let's go back to Genesis, okay? Genesis, right after Jacob left his father, uh, after he'd t taken his brother's birthright, he left his father. He ran away thinking his brother was going to kill him. <laughs> Probably an understandable thing. Yeah, yeah, a man with brothers would know. He went away to find a, to live with his uncle and find a wife. Well, his wife, his uncle took advantage of him, and so he worked for his uncle for 14 years, and he, his uncle got him to marry both of his daughters. But during that 14 years, 
he was super, Jacob was super prosperous. I mean, God blessed him. I mean, he had huge herds financially, every, every way you can imagine, he was blessed. So much so that he had, to, he had to leave. He was running out of room. He had to go back to his father's land. On the way back, he encountered God one night. He encountered, in fact, the scriptures say that he wrestled with God all night long. He wouldn't let him go. He wouldn't let him go. And that night, God changed his name to Israel. Okay, so that's where Israel comes into this whole thing. When he got back, Israel makes, makes amends with his brother Esau, or at least he thought he did. It seemed that way, but apparently not to Esau. You ever had that happen? That you, you, you make amends with someone and you're okay, but they're not okay? Or someone comes to you and says, oh, I'm sorry, and you say, yeah, okay, and you never let it go? You know what that's like, right? That's exactly what they're... That's exactly what's going on here with Esau and his brother Israel now. You never say anything about it, just like Esau. Matter of fact, you stew on it. You get it? Stew on it like lentil stew. You stew on it. That was that was, was really funny. You stewed on it. <laughs> anyway, Esau hadn't forgotten. He had, he, was, he, he had never given it up. He wasn't angry anymore, but he, he hadn't forgiven him either. He had gotten over the anger, but he would never forget what had happened. Esau, you see, would eventually leave his father's land to leave Israel because, frankly, everything of his father belonged now to his brother, right? He had no place. He had to leave. When his brother comes back, he had to leave. His descendants would become the Edomites, living in Edom. It's a fitting place for a man with red skin to live in the red hills, right? That's just where he belonged. And their, their life of conflict between Israel and the Edomites would continue again and again. The Edomites would be enemies of Israel for generations. In fact, in Numbers chapter 20, after, after Moses leads the Israelites through the Red Sea, you remember that? This is later in the story. Leads them through the Red Sea. They come to the land of the Edomites and say, can we pass through? And they say, now, go around. Right? Now, go around. Like, no, you, you can't borrow my mower. No, you, sorry. It's, it's broken. <laughs> no, right? It's, no, I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to. It's not coming over for Thanksgiving. You can go around. Right? That's what happened. So all throughout the, the, the reign of Saul and David, they were fighting with the Edomites. They were fighting with the Edomites back and forth. Again and again and again, they showed up. Until David conquered them and made them the subjects of Israel. Just to confirm what Rebekah had been told. That when the boys would be born, that one would rule over the other. And one would submit to the other. This would go on until about the, the 18th century, or the 8th century, I'm sorry. When Edom would, would regain independence from Israel. They would fight back and conquer and fight away from Israel. Sometime after that, the Edomites built their capital city, city that you are very familiar with. It's been in a lot of movies, it's on TV all the time, uh, the city of Petra, uh, city of city in the hills. And it's, it's carved literally into the stone of the mountain. It's a city that um, is a beautiful city. Some of you have probably been to see it. I've never been able to. But um, it's a gorgeous place, and you can't imagine that people back in the 8th and 9th century were, were they built it. I mean, it's 
why it's one of the wonders of the world, I believe. But Petra was, the city of Petra was known to be such an amazing feat of construction that it was able to be defended by only 12 warriors. It only took 12 men to defend the whole city. Because the only way to access the city were through what are these uh, small uh, crevices in the, in the cliffs. So it was easy to defend. So this was a city that, in that day, it was a big deal to be able to have a city that was so easily defensible, right? That one that you could protect yourself. So, because that was a big deal, because they were fighting each other all the time, right? But, but Petra was one that was easily easy to defend. And so there was a little bit of pride in that, that they had this thing that obviously God was on their side because look what we've got, right? And that's what Obadiah speaks to at the beginning of verses 2 through 4. He says, see, I will make you small among the nations. You'll be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in cliffs of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. From there I will bring you down. You see, it, it made perfect sense for them to think that God had blessed them. That they were approved by God because look where they were. No one could touch them. And yet God says, be careful because the pride goes before the fall, right? That's the second thing I think that Obadiah wants us to see here is that pride is deceptive and dangerous. Pride is deceptive and dangerous. See, pride had convinced them that, that they, they, they could not be harmed, that, that they had done too great a job of defending their city, but they were wrong. Pride, being deceptive, makes us think that we actually are as great as we think we are. And it's dangerous because we begin to believe that we are as great as we think we are. Pride tells us that, just look around us at how God has blessed us. Obviously, he approves of how we live. Obviously, he approves of how we worship. Look, at, look around us, how rich we are. How great, and, and nationally, I mean, look at our nation, that how God has blessed us. Obviously, he approves. It's easy to say that. Pride tells us that our behaviors aren't that bad. That, it, that we can actually put question marks for God to put periods. Pride tells us that. Verse 4, though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. From there I will bring you down. <coughs> Obadiah goes on to remind the people that, that when Israel was attacked by the Babylonians, right, the Babylonians came and ran the Israelites out. It was, instead of assisting their brother, they chose to loot it instead. Verse 11. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were just like one of them. See, instead of defending your brother, who the Israelites would you know, historically be their brother, instead of defending them, you chose to become one of them become one of them. Now we understand that the Edomites didn't like Israel, right? I mean, you can, you've got to understand it because you know what that's like, right? When someone else gets what you deserved or what was it you were entitled to, it stings. When, when someone takes advantage of you, when someone seems to be blessed when it was your blessing, 
you know what that's like. Jealousy, envy. But, but no matter how entitled we are to feel the way we feel, it doesn't give us the right to act the way we act. We want to act. We can't do what we want. Because it, it's not okay to mistreat people. It's never okay to mistreat people, right? Even though we understand exactly why they would want to. Some of us may be in the same place and, and want to retaliate or, or hold back or tell them to go around. But God doesn't want that. In fact, in verse 12 and 13, God says, You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in the calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. No, don't take advantage of someone else's disadvantage. Don't take advantage. It matters how we treat people, no matter who those people are. That's the third thing. God cares how we treat others. He loves you, and he understands how bitterness will affect us. And that's exactly what the bitterness is, exactly the problem that the, the Edomites had. It's, bitterness is simply the fermented unforgiveness. It's when you hold on to unforgiveness. You don't give it and you don't, until your heart becomes hard. You become bitter. So maybe, maybe you didn't have a jerk for a brother like my brother did. Or like I did. Maybe it, was, it, maybe it was another family member that you've got that, that you haven't forgiven. Or maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker. I don't know. Or maybe you're the neighbor or coworker or family member. You've been wronged or offended, and you're not over it. You may have the right, but as that Disney movie says, better just to let it go. Let it go. To forgive quickly. Because the longer you carry unforgiveness, the harder your heart gets. They have something you deserve. Since you can't move past it, what we do is we wallow in it. Jealousy becomes bitterness. You begin to see the whole world is against you. When in reality, just the whole world is avoiding you because you're bitter. The world doesn't want to be around you because you're bitter. You have a hard heart. Bitterness, you see, it isn't just about you and the one you have problems with. It affects all your relationships. All other relationships. Matthew, and why does this matter? Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 44. He says, what I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be children of God, your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain to the just and the unjust. Look at that again. Love your enemies so that. Love your enemies so that. It's a prerequisite to being a child of God. Love your enemies so that you may be a child of your Father in heaven. Because he makes, he blesses who he's going to bless. The sun rises on those he wants to. So the rain falls on those he wants to. He's going to bless whoever and however he wants to bless. That's not up to you. That's not up to me. That's not up to us. That's up to God only. Our job is to live our life in submission to him. That's it. 
with him is in charge. That's our response, to live the life that we've been given. It may not be the one you wanted, but guess what? It's the one you've got. Live that life as a gift from God. That's the proper response to God's blessing. It's not wishing you had more. It's being thankful for what you have. See, this is not just a message to the Edomites. This is a message to everyone, everywhere. Verse 15 even says that. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. He's saying judgment's coming for you, Edomites. But it's not just for you, Edomites. It's for all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Sin will be accounted for, regardless of if you call yourself an Edomite or not. Sin will be accounted for. Obadiah closes this out with that description that God's people, the redeemed, would occupy the land. They would be called back. That the God's people, the redeemed, would be brought back. In verse, he closes out the last four or five verses there that, that God's people are going to occupy the land. That sin had caused destruction. For you and me, what that means, you know, this, this judgment has passed already. This is the Old Testament, right? This judgment has passed. But the reality is, is that we're still human, flesh and blood. You and I still struggle with envy, anger, resentment, bitterness. If you don't struggle with it, you're certainly tempted towards it. And the simple truth is that, that God loves us too much to leave sin unaccounted for. He loves us too much to leave sin unaccounted for. That's the whole reason Jesus died. is so that your sin, my sin, our sin as a nation, as, as a people, would be atoned for. Not to be forgotten, but to be atoned for, to be paid for. He wasn't just, he wasn't just pretending like it didn't ever happen. He paid for it with the death of his son on the cross. What right do we have to be revengeful? What right do we have to be entitled? None. But that only happens as we submit ourselves to Christ. Otherwise, if you're not a Christian, you have every right in the world to feel like you deserve more. But see how far they get you. You'll never be satisfied. In fact, matter of fact, satisfaction only comes when we submit ourselves to Christ. And that doesn't really do it because you still want more, but, but as... You give your life to him. He gives his life to you. He fills you with himself, with God's self, comes and lives in you, and in that, you begin to be able to overcome the temptations to anger, envy, pride, jealousy, revenge, all those things. You can, you can stand against that. You can say, no, I'm forgiven, and I'm going to choose to walk away. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm, I'm going to choose not to hold that against him. That's what it means to live as Christ, to live in Christ. It's to accept what he's done and live your life as though that was you. Because it was. He did it for you. The message of Obadiah is simply that, that pride, and pride leads to destruction. But grace leads to life.
Grace leads to life. And that grace is offered to you today. We're going to share in Holy Communion, which is a tangible way to, to receive God's grace. We, we, we believe that, that in this experience of receiving grace, that you can actually experience Christ in such a powerful way that you'd be transformed right here, right in the, right in the moment, right in this moment. That this act of just doing what Jesus said to, to share in communion together, that it can change your life. It can change your life. I want to pray for you. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for giving us life, for showing us, Lord, that uh, all the ways that our life is left unchecked can, can get out of alignment with with your will for us. Left unchecked, God, we, we fall into pride and envy and selfishness, resentment, anger. Left unchecked, Lord, we <clears throat> our lives go off in all kinds of crazy directions. They're all about us. But God, if we submit ourselves to you, if we lean into you, God, we're able to find peace. We're able to find peace. The life that we have is a gift truly a gift like none other Lord I ask today those that are gathered here today Lord that been, have been living for you for years Lord that today they would they would hear your call to, to holiness they would hear your call to, to move beyond to, to let it go to not hold on to hurts and hang ups that we've had God to, to surrender that to you to invite you into those things we have to do that daily sometimes. That that is a daily decision to do that because some things just are hard. There's some that are here today, God, who've never given their lives to you. They've been coming to church for a long time, but they've never surrendered. They've been trying to fight against all these things, but they find themselves as looking back, thinking, wow, the bitterness is real. That unforgiveness has been allowed to grow in their hearts. God, you can break through in this moment. This act of Holy Communion, God, you can break through the hardness of our hearts. Change us from the inside out. Meet us here, Lord. Right in this moment. God, we also lift to you <clears throat> pastors and churches here in our community. God, we ask that they too would be faithful to your call for us as the body of Christ to make disciples, that, that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord. We ask you, Father, that you bless adopted families and foster families, God, parents and the kids that they deal with emotional and relational issues, Lord, that mental health issues. God, that you would just bring healing in those relationships today. Our neighbors, Lord, open the door. Open the door of our lives so our neighbors can see in and they might see you. Open their doors that we might, that we might take you in, that we might take you to our neighbor just to show the love that's possible through a heart that's changed by God. 
finally, Lord, I lift to you our church leaders, conference leaders, our denominational leaders, Lord. I ask that you would give them the wisdom to lead with boldness and confidence in your holy word. God, to help them to make decisions that are in keeping with, with your will for, for our church, for our churches. We love you, Lord. We love you so for how you've provided for us, not just in Christ, but in, in so many ways.